You're listening to 14 Days and Counting. Here's your host, Lindsay Lawson. Hello and welcome here. 14 Days and Counting is a podcast about trying to conceive, pregnancy, motherhood, physical and emotional well-being, and all things woman. I'm your host, Lindsay Lawson. I have to apologize, I did take last week off. I thought we were pregnant and I wanted to confirm with a beta HCG test before I announced it. However, as of recording this, I am once again on cycle day three. My previous cycle was shorter than normal at 25 days, and that was our third cycle trying to conceive. So to be honest, I am pretty bummed. I really did think I was pregnant. I tracked my two-week weight symptoms, used my pregnancy tests starting at 90 PO, and then switched to first response and clear blue stick test once I got a positive and still amp flow eventually came knocking. So, begins as I like to call it, shark week. I'm miserable from the bloating and the cramps, and I'm grumpy because I'm not pregnant like I wanted to be. I don't know if it was a chemical pregnancy or if I was getting false positives from those tests. I don't know. I do know that I feel sorry for my poor husband who has to ride out the move swings and the cravings and the constant need for attention. I feel like I'm Tinkerbell. But this just means that we get to keep trying and keep having fun while we do. And this week could potentially be the first week of a new pregnancy. The good news is our fertility specialist is ready to go ahead with a medicated cycle. I'm already on a few medications that are supposed to help, like metformin for my PCOS. I did have a baseline ultrasound this morning. So far, everything looked good. I'm going to start taking letrozole for this cycle, and then I go back next Thursday for a follow-up mid-cycle ultrasound and an SIS, which stands for saline-infused something or another. <laughs> I It's a long word. I am going to butcher it if I even try to pronounce it, but essentially it's a procedure to measure or evaluate the uterus and the shape of the uterine cavity using a sterile fluid and an ultrasound. They do have one which is called an SHG, which is essentially the same thing, but instead of an ultrasound, it is using an x-ray. Mine will be an ultrasound. This shows the ovaries as well, and the purpose is to detect abnormalities, if there are any, and flush out the fallopian tubes for any debris or blockage that there might be. Most women who are pregnant know what to do to protect their unborn babies. It's all the typical things like avoid caffeine and alcohol, don't eat raw or deli meat, don't sit in a hot tub or a sauna, don't clean the bathroom with harsh chemicals, The list goes on and on, but what about the things you do while you're trying to get pregnant that could enhance your fertility, 
help make sure your pregnancy is the healthiest and the safest it can be, or even just keep you sane while you stumble through each unsuccessful cycle. That's where self-care comes in. In today's episode, we're going to discuss steps that we can take to prepare our mind and body and spirit for trying to have a baby and ways to regroup ourselves after finding out we're not pregnant or even after suffering a loss. Because the best way to take care of your future baby's health is to prioritize yours right now. So what is self-care? Self-care has been defined as, quote, a multidimensional, multifaceted process of purposeful engagement and strategies that promote healthy function and enhance well-being, unquote. Basically, the term self-care describes a conscious act a person takes in order to promote their own physical, mental, and emotional health. But why is self-care important, especially when trying to conceive? Um, It is said that having an effective self-care routine has been shown to have a number of important health benefits. Some of these include reducing anxiety and depression, reducing stress and improved resilience, improving happiness, increasing energy, reducing burnout, and having stronger relationships. According to the World Health Organization, self-care is important because it can help promote health, prevent disease, and help people better cope with illness. Some self-care habits have been linked to different health and wellness benefits, including having a longer life. While many things are out of our control when it comes to fertility and pregnancy, our lifestyle and daily habits are not one of them. I know you're busy. Maybe you bust your butt during your 9 to 5 just to come home and take care of your dogs and your husband in the house like I do. Or maybe you spend all day chasing three toddlers around. When you care for everyone else, it's really hard to find time for yourself. Luckily, self-care can take many forms, all of which are vital for building resilience towards stressors in your life that you can't eliminate. Unfortunately, however, many people view self-care as a luxury rather than daily habits that should take priority. Because of this, they're left feeling overwhelmed, tired, ill-equipped to handle life's inevitable changes, and that's when stress takes over and your trying to conceive journey gets a lot harder. Today, researchers widely accept that stress and fertility are in fact connected. Alice Domer, Domer, an infertility researcher who also is director of Mind Body Services at Boston IVF, said, quote, Your body is smart. It knows that periods of stress aren't good times to have a baby, unquote. Several recent studies have found links between women's levels of day-to-day stress and lowered chances of pregnancy. For example, in those studies, women whose saliva had high levels of, I'm going to butcher this, guys, alpha-almalize, It's an enzyme that marks stress. Took 29% longer to get pregnant compared to those whose levels had less. Sarah Berga, MD, an infertility specialist and vice chairwoman 
Vice Chair of Women's Health at Wake Forest Medical Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, was quoted saying, We know that stress hormones such as cortisol disrupt signaling between the brain and the ovaries, which can trip up ovulation, unquote. Therefore, once again, we have another specialist saying that stress negatively affects fertility. I've said it from the beginning, but I'll say it again. This podcast was created to help me. In doing so, I I hope it helps you too. Trying to conceive is stressful and hard enough, not to mention adding in a job, spouse, pets, friends, family, maintaining a house, paying bills, all of that into the mix. And just knowing that the stress that you have on a day-to-day basis is probably part of the reason that's holding you back. I know if I'm overwhelmed just trying to adult on the daily, that I'm not the only one. So I've put together some self-care tips to help you along your journey to having a family. I hope these help you. What are the different types of self-care? Self-care isn't just about finding ways to relax. It's about taking care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. In order to care for your health and well-being, it's important to find time to focus on each aspect of yourself and choose what works best for you to restore your own balance. As we go through the five types of self-care, I'll tell you what I do and offer some suggestions for you to try. Number one is physical self-care. You need to take care of your body if you want it to run efficiently. Keep in mind that there is a strong connection between your body and your mind. When you care for your body, you'll think and feel better too. Physical self-care includes how you're fueling your body, how much sleep you're getting, how much physical activity you're doing, and how well you're caring for your physical needs. Attending healthcare appointments, taking medications as prescribed, and managing your health are all part of your self-care. So everybody knows that eat healthy, get active, get your weight under control, quit smoking, limit caffeine, avoid alcohol, Get up to date on your vaccines, take care of your teeth, take your daily vitamin, and choose a healthy lifestyle. And yes, you should do all of this, but it shouldn't feel like a chore to cross these items off your list and turn them into daily habits. My husband and I have been working hard to make a budget and tighten the reins when it comes to our spending. Fertility treatments and babies are not cheap, and we want to be as prepared as we can. Even though I know, I know, you're never as prepared as you think you are. I apologize, my phone is going off. Um, So instead of viewing this as we can't go out to eat, I like to think of it that we get to have a date night, get out of the house, go grocery shopping together, and come home and cook a fun and healthy meal as a couple. It helps us eat healthier and saves us a lot of money. If you're anything like me, after working all day and cleaning the house and making dinner, I don't want to make time for the gym too. 
and I know that I am not the only one out there. I'm tired and I don't have the motivation to do so. So what do I do? A friend and I are in discipleship together. Instead of meeting for coffee or food, we've decided to meet at a park and walk as we talk about whichever book we are studying at that month. It gets me active and it helps keep me motivated because I've got somebody who's holding me accountable. Number two is social self-care. Socialization is a key to self-care, but often it's hard to make time for friends and it's easy to neglect your relationships when life gets busy. This is something that is especially so if you feel like every person in the world is pregnant beside you. And I know that I am not the only one that is struggling with that. My future sister-in-law is pregnant. My matron, yeah, my matron of honor is pregnant. And I love both of them. I'm so happy for both of them. But being around them and their pregnancy glow and their huge smiles of excitement are very hard when I am struggling to get pregnant. So for right now, to take care of myself, I just have to love them from a distance. And I've made sure that they know that and they're okay with that. Um, Close relationships are important to your well-being. The best way to cultivate and maintain close relationships is to put time and energy into building your relationship with others. There isn't a certain number of hours you should devote to your friends or work on your relationships. Everyone has slightly different social needs. We've got social butterflies and I know we've got some wallflowers. So the key to, is to figure out what your social needs are and to build, excuse me, to build enough time in your schedule to create an optimal social life. Um, some suggestions are joining a support group. Couples with infertility often feel isolated. Sometimes it seems like all their friends and family are getting pregnant and raising families while they're still trying to get pregnant and feeling like failures. You're not, by the way. You are not a failure. This is a journey, not a marathon. This is where a support group can be super helpful. You'll be with other couples who really get it and understand the unique frustrations and grief of infertility. Sometimes it's just enough to be with other people who have been through what you're going through. I suggest if you're seeing a fertility specialist, ask your clinic if there are support groups nearby, or you can check online to find if there is a Resolve and Fertility Support Group near where you live. Resolve is a national infertility association with a ton of resources. Um, There's something that I just actually I didn't know about until I started researching for this episode. And that's another thing. Listening to podcasts like this, that's a whole reason 14 Days was started. I felt so alone in my walk, and I wanted to build a community around me of people who knew exactly what I'm going through and could lend an ear and lend their support and even their knowledge at times when I may not have understood something that the doctor told me and or I just needed someone to put it in layman's terms who have been there as I am now. 
So that's another thing. Following women on TikTok or Instagram who are in the same walk, there are a ton of trying to conceive and rainbow baby and two-week wait hashtags on Instagram and TikTok. I know I spend hours a week looking at them. Uh, I even recently made a TikTok for this podcast, so check it out. There's so many chat rooms, too. A lot of fertility and period tracker apps have built-in chat rooms. I personally use Femometer and Flow, and I know for a fact each one of them has a built-in chat room for women in the trying to conceive community. Another option is to let your friends support you. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to protect ourselves from our family-oriented friends that we lose sight of the fact that they're still the same people who are our childless friends not that long ago. Friends and family often want to support you, but maybe they don't know how to say what they want to say, or they're afraid of saying the wrong thing or not saying the right thing at the right time. Don't wait for them to read your mind. Friends and family can't support you if you haven't given them a chance. Now, I'm not saying that you need to tell everyone, and you don't need to talk about it more than you find helpful for you. That said, you also don't need to stay silent about what you're going through, and you don't need to try to go through it alone. I suggest choosing a few friends or family members who you can feel can be a part of your support system, and choose a few who you know can take your mind off of the not having a baby blues. Those are important too. The people that you can turn to to maybe go out for a drink after you start your period for the fourth time in a row. Or just know that you can go to and not have to talk about baby anything. That's so important. In the least, I think this is probably the most important thing of all, is to connect with your partner. Infertility is notorious for turning sex into a chore. From frustration to shame to a lower libido, trying to get pregnant can change your sex life. What used to be a passionate time to connect intimately with your partner might start to feel like a task, one with a seemingly unattainable goal. When the sexual relationship breaks down, it can also weaken other aspects of your relationship. It's important to give attention to the relationship we have with your partner without any trying to conceive talk. Uh, I suggest making a list of things you want to try together. Uh, I recently saw on TikTok there's an adventure book for couples for like date night ideas and things like that. Um, One couple was trying to bake a pie blindfolded. Just one person was blindfolded and the other one was guiding them through the process. Looks super fun and it's definitely something that I want to do with Adam. Um, But there can be intimacy without sexy time. I try to hug my husband for at least 10 seconds a day with no expectations and even try to shower together without the expectation of something coming from it. It's a way to talk without the distraction of our phones or our day-to-day life 
and just enjoy each other's company completely unplugged. You never know where those shower conversations are going to go. So the next is mental self-care. And this, I feel like this umbrella kind of encompasses all of the other aspects of self-care. Like each one of the things I've touched on affects you mentally. Um, So I would say this is probably one of the most important ones, but in a way by doing the other ones, you're working on this part of self-care. And the way you think and the things you're feeling your mind with greatly influence psychological well-being. Mental self-care includes doing things that keep your mind sharp, like puzzles or learning about a subject that fascinates you. You might find reading a book or watching movies that inspire you fuels your mind. I like reading or listening to podcasts while I work around the house or just work during the day like at my job. Mental self-care also improves doing things that help, I'm sorry, involves doing things that help you stay mentally healthy. Practicing compassion and acceptance, for example, helps you maintain a healthier inner dialogue. One of the ways that you can really treat yourself with some mental self-care is to get professional help. For social self-care, I talked about support systems to set up, and support groups can be a great place to connect with others, but you might feel like you need to do a little more one-on-one work. People who are navigating infertility often experience depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. I know that I definitely have. After our miscarriage, there was a solid week that I didn't want to cook didn't want to clean, didn't want to get out of bed, couldn't even do my job. I wanted to do nothing but sleep. And I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to pull myself out of that. So I did discuss with my primary doctor about seeing a, um, a therapist or doing something that could help me pull myself out of that puddle that I was in. Uh, even if you feel like you're coping with adequately with everything going on, finding a fertility therapist has many benefits. Infertility often comes with intense, sometimes difficult emotions. Counseling can help you process these feelings and develop healthy ways of coping with them. It might be helpful to look for a therapist therapist who has special training or experience working with infertility couples as they can also help you make informed choices about your treatment. This is something that I did not know that was available until doing research for this podcast. So once again, I'm learning as you learn. Um, Therapy can be very useful for couples, especially in infertility is putting a strain on your relationship or you and your partner struggle to agree on what to do as the next step in your journey. It's not uncommon for one partner to be reluctant about therapy, but couples seeking counseling together often benefit greatly from having the opportunity to talk openly about what they're going through. 
And I'm not saying everybody needs therapy, but I do know that Adam and I did premarital counseling before we got married, and it was probably one of the best things that we've done as a couple. I looked forward to it every week, and I would 100% do it again in a heartbeat. And knowing that there are therapists out there that are specialized in exactly what we're going through is such great knowledge. It would be such a helpful tool if we ever got to that point. Because I know even we're still in the beginning stages, but there have been things that we don't agree on as what to do next. Um, having somebody kind of mediate that, I mean, I'm not saying that there have been like knockdown, drag out fights or anything, but things like that come up, like you don't always agree. So somebody who knows the lay of the land and can see both parts can be really, really beneficial. The next is spiritual self-care. Research shows that a lifestyle, including religion or just spirituality, is a generally healthier lifestyle. Nurturing your spirit, however, doesn't have to involve religion. It can involve anything that helps you develop a deeper sense of meaning, understanding, or connection to the universe. That would be something such as enjoying meditation or doing yoga or Pilates or even attending a religious service or praying. Spiritual self-care is important. Like I said earlier, I do discipleship. Uh, one form is that one form of that is just meeting with a friend to discuss the book of the Bible. But Adam and I also meet with another godly couple who help us in our walk with God every week. We sit down and we talk about the things that couples go through on a day-to-day basis and what it says in the Bible on how to navigate those things. We have a Family Foundations Bible study class at our church that we attend, and I even teach Sunday school during the school year. It's great to get involved, whether whatever religion you are, whether you think there's a higher being or a higher power or just Mother Nature, whatever it is, spending time focusing on that and developing that deeper is majorly beneficial. And last but not least is emotional self-care. It's important to have healthy coping skills to deal with uncomfortable emotions like anger, anxiety, sadness, especially, especially during the trying to conceive world. Emotional self-care may include activities that help you acknowledge and express your feelings regularly and safely. Whether you talk to a partner or a close friend about how you feel, or you set aside time for leisure activities that help you process your emotions, it's important to incorporate incorporate emotional self-care into your life. Some ways of doing that is not letting the two-week wait take over your whole existence. The two-week wait is a time of high stress when you're trying to conceive Each day between ovulation and your pending next period can feel like it's a million years long. During this time, you may feel consistently anxious. I know I do. 
It can help to focus on other things and people. And I have a few suggestions on what might take your mind off of that. Like I said, having a date with your partner reconnects that intimacy and just gets your mind off of things. Seeing a movie you always wanted to see or pick a book that you've been meaning to read or even get the ingredients for a pie and try to have one of you make it blindfolded. (laughs) Spend time with your friends or set up weekly or monthly game nights with your friends or even start a home or craft project. I know I've been redecorating a little bit during the downtime that we have on those two weeks. Um, The two week wait worries might still linger in the back of your mind as you participate in these activities, but it's better than just letting them sit front and center and be the only focus that you have. Another thing is don't overdo pregnancy tests. When you're trying to conceive, one of the main focuses is likely to be pregnancy test taking, whether it's gathering up your supplies or experimenting with the timing that of when you can take a test, whether 7 DPO or 9 DPO or 10 DPO. I know that I have overly tested and I know that I've talked on even on this podcast about how I buy my pregnancy test in bulk and I've experiment experimented with the different brands but it might I don't know how to say what I want to say while you might be hesitant to cut back on test taking when you're trying to get pregnant it can easily become a fixation and an obsession and I'm not saying everybody gets this way but sometimes it can make you feel more stressed rather than less stressed so I would sit down and evaluate why are you taking these tests I mean we all know we want to know if we're pregnant or not but is it doing you good or is it doing you harm and that's the thing to determine And next, and this is something that I am obviously struggling with this week, is don't let your period get you down. Many people who menstruate aren't necessarily thrilled when their monthly period comes, especially when you're trying to conceive. You might even be more upset by its arrival, which is a sign you didn't get pregnant yet again. If you've experienced miscarriages, getting your period can not only signal another failed cycle, but also reminds you of previous losses. For some people who might have had a miscarriage or stillbirth, periods can be an intense reminder of their inability to not only get pregnant, but stay pregnant. Please try not to let your period pull you down for days or weeks. If you're depressed the first two weeks of your cycle, Uh, or obsessed with ovulating and anxiety during the last two weeks, consider a role that your period might be playing as a trigger for those feelings, and then revert back to things that I've discussed earlier on in this podcast, such as seeing somebody in a support group or seeing a professional to talk about it. Work through that. I am still early and I feel like maybe it'll hit a peak. I don't know when that'll be, but 
the longer we go on, the less upsetting my periods get. Maybe once we hit six months of no success, that'll start to change and I will get more and more upset rather than getting less and less upset. But we all just have to work through that because like I said, it's a journey, not a marathon. This isn't going to happen overnight. And it probably may not even happen in the first six months. So we all just have to keep that in mind. And that's what comes with the next thing. Acknowledge of difficult feelings. Trying to reduce that hold that infertility has on your life does not mean that you have to pretend that it doesn't have a strong influence on you. I know it does. I know. In fact, acknowledging all of your feelings about infertility, especially the difficult ones, is healthy. Find a safe place and time to express these feelings, and that will look different for every person. If you find it challenging to talk about how you're feeling, you might find that writing is helpful. You can keep your words private or share them with your partner, friends, family, or even the wider world as you choose like I do. Uh, When Adam and I first got together, if we would go through something difficult, I didn't have the communication skills to identify the feelings that I was feeling and to talk to to him about it out loud. So I would write letters to him saying like, this hurt my feelings, or this person upset me today, or I'm mad about this. And as our relationship has progressed, I've learned the coping and communication skills to be able to just tell him without having to write a letter. But I understand that that takes time and sometimes you don't want your partner to every to know everything that you're thinking. It does make it easier to write it down. Put it, throw it in the fireplace if you want. Burn it, let those feelings go, but feel them before you do. And remember to take a break. If you feel that trying to get pregnant has taken over your life and all your other efforts to take things back are not working, it might be time to take a break. You and your partner might find it helpful to take a few months off and rest and just refocus. But I suggest before you stop trying to conceive, Talk to your doctor about the length of your break. Certain circumstances might determine how long a break you take. For example, time can be a factor if you're hoping to get pregnant over the age of 35. But keep in mind there are so many success stories about couples getting pregnant while on vacation, and those are there for a reason. Once you pivot your attention to something different, the stress melts away and sometimes it's easier to conceive. And with that, the last thing I'm going to recommend is try to practice reframing. There's simple stress management techniques that can help you cope with your current fertility challenges, as well as be an invaluable tool throughout your life. And it's called the art of reframing. Reframing doesn't change your situation. It just changes the way you look at it. Like I said earlier, we're not going out to eat anymore because we're trying to save money. But instead of looking at that as, well, crap, I can't go to Chick-fil-A for lunch today like I want to. Or 
I can't go to Olive Garden tonight for dinner because we've got to save money. I get to look at that as, well, Adam and I can experience new things at home and try to recreate Olive Garden's recipe here in our house. It's healthier and it'll save us a bunch of money. So view it as a positive instead of a negative. It's not easy to reframe and you're going to have to practice a lot before it feels natural to you. This is where fake it till you make it comes in. As you encounter challenges in your journey to get to pregnancy, continue to look for opportunities to reframe. Like I said, I'm bummed that Aunt Flo came this week, but this could potentially be the first week of my next pregnancy. That's an awesome thing. And I know this is a lot. This is probably going to be my longest episode, and I've kind of stumbled through it as I've tripped over my words today. I thank you for being patient with me and helping me as I learn and as I grow. And I'm so, so excited that our community is growing. Check me out on Instagram and on TikTok. I'm on TikTok at 14 Days and Counting Podcasts, and I'm on Instagram at Squirrel Talk Audio. And thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support. I'm here for you. I know you're here for me. To all the mamas and mamas-to-be, you've got my prayers and baby dust to you all. Fourteen Days and Counting is a Squirrel Talk audio production hosted by Lindsay Lawson, distributed by Anchor. You can find Fourteen Days and Counting on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate, comment, subscribe on whatever platform you use, and don't forget to follow on Instagram at Squirrel Talk Audio. As always, thank you for listening to Fourteen Days and Counting. Mm-hmm.